Hi, this is Dan Matson. Please note that this podcast was created several years ago. Some of the links, email addresses, phone numbers, and promos are outdated and no longer valid. If you want to contact me, my email address is woodenboatdan at gmail.com. Once again, that's woodenboatdan at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Hooked on Wooden Boats, podcast episode number three. I'm your host, Dan Matson, and this is the world's first podcast fully dedicated to the craft, art, tradition, and history of wooden boats. I'm really excited, folks, uh, because in this episode today, we're going to be doing our first interview uh, on Hooked on Wooden Boats. And uh, my wife and I have been at Westport, Washington for four or five days, just taking a little mini vacation. And did a little research while I was here and found out that the Grays Harbor Historical Seaport is located in Aberdeen on the river. And uh, it's an organization that's done some really cool things, uh, one of which is in 1985 they began the construction of a tall ship, uh, a 112-foot replica of a wooden ship built in... Uh, the late 1700s and they built a replica of that boat and it's used for all kinds of cool stuff and the other fun thing is that that boat actually was one of the boats one of the tall ships in Pirates of the Caribbean uh, that came out in 2003. So I set up an interview with Les Bolton he's the executive director of the Grays Harbor Historical Seaport it's about 58 minutes in length, so it's a little longer than my normal podcast, but I don't really want to break it up into two sections because there's so much good material there that I think you'll really enjoy listening to it. So without any further uh, introduction on my part, uh, we're going to go ahead and start the interview. Uh, I did go on site uh, to their facility and sat down with Les, and so here's the interview. So it's October 4th, and I'm sitting here with uh, Les, Les, I can't remember your last name. Les Bolton. Les Bolton, yeah, Captain Um, Les Bolton. Uh, Les is the Executive Director of the Grays Harbor Historical Seaport. So welcome, Les. Thanks thanks. for uh, taking this time to meet. You bet, you bet. um, So you're Captain Les Bolton, so tell me about the captain title. Well, um, licensed ship's master. Okay. Um, don't do that so much anymore. I mean, you know, part of my job is to bring up that next generation. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I lived on board and and worked the ship uh, from what ninety December of ninety through um, ninety two ninety three, and then did a lot of relief work. You know, as uh, as We'd get somebody new in, or or uh, maybe uh, you know some captain would have to you know take time out mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But anymore, we've got a real good cadre of uh, individuals that have come up either through the ranks on our boat or mm-hmm. have come to us in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. So yeah. So, so you're the executive director of the Grays Harbor Seaport Authority, right? So tell me about a little bit about that organization. Well. Um, actually, uh, 
on October 13th, it will be our 25th anniversary of uh-huh. the founding of the organization. Okay. It was created by the city of Aberdeen um, with a grand vision, which I must say it's only taken us 25 years to get right to the point where we could almost implement. <laughs> um, but um, we're a municipal nonprofit, so that's kind of, it's like um, the worst of all worlds brought together. Um, we're like an unfunded parks department that has full <laughs> accountability. Um, we get to pay the state auditor fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars a year to audit our books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, unfortunately, we don't get any of that flow through money. Um, you know, we're not. Yeah, they, we don't get money out of your taxes so we oh, okay so you have um, to we actually have to earn raise your own funding and support right. from right. what you do here so you know and a lot of people don't recognize that nonprofit um oh yeah you're a nonprofit you're a nonprofit business and you still have to pay everybody's wages and now that the organization has grown to the point where we've got um well, today I've got 21 paid staff. Um, everybody's got health care. Wow. We've got a retirement plan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've also got another mm, probably 16 volunteers working today. Mm-hmm. And wow. so, yeah, we're um, – our overhead you know, is about $100,000 a month. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's – you know, and when you think about a tall ship, you know, it's a city unto itself. Mm-hmm. And so you've mm-hmm. got an electrical generation plant. You've mm-hmm. got sewage treatment plant. You've got you got to feed all those people. Mm-hmm. We, um, yeah. we just did an analysis. We fed 38, we over 38,000 individual meals last year. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, wow, that's a lot. So tell me how the Tall Ships ties into your organization, and tell me about the Lady Washington and how, sure. and that whole story. Okay. Well, um, the original vision for um, Grace Harbor Historical Seaport, the reason that the city of Aberdeen created the Seaport Authority was to create a destination attraction that celebrated the rich and colorful maritime heritage of Grays Harbor in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about the history of the Pacific Northwest um, is it's big. I mean, big trees, big ships, shipbuilding, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of museums that have neat little pictures. And you look at the picture and you go, gosh, heck, that swell. Whereas if you were to stand next to it, you would go, holy smoke, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so part of, the, part of the idea behind the original organization was to um, create a destination attraction and a home port for um, two tall ships. Mm-hmm. And the first one that was built was Lady Washington. She was built as a Washington State Centennial Project. Mm-hmm. And she's a full-scale reproduction of the original Lady Washington mm-hmm. that was the first American vessel to visit the west coast of North America mm-hmm. um, to land in her... She first... Uh, 
made landfall in Oregon, then came up to Washington, British Columbia, and Alaska. She was the first American vessel to visit Honolulu, Hong Kong, and Macau. Wow. And started trade with those islands, right? Right. With the, right. the black right. pearls and the sandalwood trade? Right, right. Uh, she was the um, she opened up the black pearl and sandalwood trade between Hawaii and China. But at the time when she originally came to the Pacific Northwest, you could trade three buttons or, uh, you know, brass or pewter buttons um, for one sea otter pelt. And that sea otter pelt was worth a year and a half's wages. So you can imagine the volume of the hold of the Lady Washington, which from the cabin sole to the overhead Mm -hmm. is 13 feet. Mm-hmm. So if you wow. can imagine packing that area, I mean, packed down pelts, mm-hmm. how much money was that? I mean, it it was as if you could be, if you could sign up and be part of the crew of a super tanker and you get to pull one and a half percent, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it, that that is the kind wow, of the opportunity was it was. Really? And, and so, you know, at that point in time, the Chinese, they called sea otter pelts soft gold. And and they were willing to to trade silk and tea and fine china mm-hmm. um, and spices, at, you know, at at a high value for, for buttons. For no, they traded for sea otter pelts. Oh, okay, okay. So you came to the northwest coast. You trade with the natives for buttons, for beads, for copper, for uh, what they call chisels, which were actually knife blanks. Uh huh. And uh, you know iron tools. Yeah. And um, so there were millions of sea otters, mm-hmm. and you know it was probably one of the first um, big opportunities to learn the lesson of resource conservation mm-hmm. and sustainability. Yeah. And unfortunately, we didn't yeah. pick up on that. Right. And so Lady Washington arrived in 1788, and by 1805. Um, the sea otters were pretty well decimated. Wow. Yeah, the wow. sea otter trade was gone, but there were lots of whales. <laughs> so it switched over to whaling. Whaling. And yeah, yeah, yeah and it was whaling until, you know, the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, so the original Lady Washington was a wooden built boat. Like she was everything a, a wooden was vessel. Then, she was actually um, built in the British colony of Massachusetts. Okay. Um, fought as a privateer during the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so the coming to the Northwest Coast was kind of a second life for her. Yeah. So. Yeah. And she sailed, had to sail around the Cape Horn right. to do right. that, which the, was a first sailed for out an American ship. Yeah, sailed out of Boston in 1788 or 1787. Uh-huh. In October of 1787, sailed to um, the Cape Verde Islands off the coast of Africa, mm-hmm. and then down to the Falkland Islands down off the coast of uh, South America, and mm-hmm. then around Cape Horn. And from the time that she left the Falkland Islands, on the in the Atlantic mm-hmm. until her first landfall at Tillamook, Oregon, was 124 days at sea. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. Wow, and it was all celestial navigation, <clears throat> pretty much. Or? Well, it 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 was um, celestial and seat of the pants. They didn't even have charts. Yeah, I mean, th- what yeah. was. This this was um, you know we talk about the great explorers you know mm-hmm. Cook and 
and Juan Perez and uh, Vancouver, those guys were exploring the commercial opportunities, mm -hmm. the commercial mm -hmm. potential. Yeah, I mean, they weren't just, wow, let's make a chart. They were, yeah. how can we get rich? And so those were state secrets. Yeah, interesting. And, um, you know, the part of the reason that um, the U.S. learned about um, these state secrets was that uh, the British had a, a uh, practice of impressment, and they would find an American vessel and say, well, you're a British subject, you're coming with us, and they would just take people off of American ships. And one of the guys that was impressed was a guy named John Ledyard, and he pretended he was just a know-nothing seaman. Yeah because he didn't want to have him know that he knew how to navigate or that he knew how to write even, mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. then they would grab him. Mm -hmm. So he pretended he was a know-nothing seaman. They grabbed him anyway. And so at the end of Vancouver's voyage, everybody had to turn in their journals, you know, because it's top secret stuff. Yeah. Nobody knew that Ledyard knew how to write, and he kept a secret journal. <laughs> really? And after he got out of the British Navy, he immediately went to uh, France and met with Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and yeah. tried to convince them to send an expedition to the Northwest Coast. Really? So yeah. based upon that, was that how this first ship came well, over no, that, Washington? He wound up doing a lot of... Um, Traveling, he came back to the United States and and met with a number of people in the U.S. Um, still wasn't able to to convince people quick enough, mm -hmm. and so he wound up going back to Europe and tried an overland. He was gonna um, <laughs> he was gonna march across uh, Russia and build ships there and go to the Northwest. Wow! I mean, this guy was pretty determined. Yeah. And actually, there's a great book um, that recently came out by a guy named Scott Ridley mm -hmm. called Morning of Fire mm -hmm. that does an excellent job of telling the whole story of Lady Washington and her sister ship, the Columbia Red Aviva. Oh, really? So, yeah, highly, yeah. high recommendation. I mean, great book. So what happened to the original Lady Washington? Does um, anybody know? or? The captain, the second captain on the Lady Washington was a man named John Kendrick. Mm -hmm. John Kendrick was a threat to the British. John Kendrick wasn't coming in and trading with natives and leaving. John Kendrick was coming in, he was trading with natives, and he owned over 10,000 acres in British Columbia that he had traded with natives for property. Mm -hmm. He traded with King Kamehameha and and made him a partner. Oh. Um, he was a problem. This is a guy that, that built Fort Washington. I mean, really he, down on yeah, the which, River? No, that was okay. in uh, in Cla what is today Clackwood Sound up on the west coast of British Columbia. Oh, okay, okay. And Kendrick grew up around the Hudson Bay Company. Mm -hmm. He saw the power of that, mm -hmm. and he wanted to see an American company similar to the Hudson Bay Company so that they could, so that America could compete toe-to-toe -to -toe with the British. Mm -hmm. That, you know, um, one of the people on, uh, on uh, Cook's voyages was a man named Sir Joseph Banks, who was the founder of the British Secret Service. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so somehow, a big surprise, um, Captain John Kendrick is having a birthday, and he's got Lady Washington anchored in Honolulu. Yeah. And the British vessel Jackal, 52-gun ship Jackal, yeah. is also at anchor. Now, in my experience, when boats are at anchor, most of the boats are laying exactly parallel mm -hmm. because they all kind of have their head into the wind. Yeah. But somehow, the Lady Washington got perpendicular to the Jackal, and while Captain John Kendrick is eating his breakfast on his birthday, the Jackal decides that they should give him a three-gun salute for his birthday. And what a big surprise to the people on the Jackal that, oops, the guns were actually shotted um, with um, grape shot. And, oh God, we killed your captain. Hey, we really feel bad about that. Do you, is that okay with you guys? I mean, you know, Kendrick's got a crew of 11. Yeah. A British 52-gun ship has just killed their captain. Um, uh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it was an accident. We all get that. It was an accident. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. It was an accident. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, goodness. And so what happened was the next thing is a man named Howell, who had been involved with Sir Joseph Banks and a couple of his other things, suddenly um, comes up with the some paperwork that shows that Kendrick owed him money. And so Mr. Howell will be taking over the vessel um, until the vessel makes enough money to pay Mr. Howell off. And, so he took over the vessel. And so he took over the Lady Washington, and eventually he's um, smuggling. There's a an Asian financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Big surprise. <laughs> That's never happened before. Um, anyway, there was an Asian financial crisis, and um, there was money to be made smuggling silver into the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And so they were attempting to do that. And their pilot accidentally put the ship onto a sandbar, and uh, she was Lady Washington was beat to pieces on a sandbar in uh, the Philippines. In the Philippines, really? Yeah. What year was that, Russ? Um, that was uh, 1795. Wow. So, I'm sorry, 1797. 1797. Yeah. So that was the end of that, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about the uh, modern day uh, in Washington State here, <clears throat> where the right. state decided to rebuild that. Uh, right. Well, so they decide to um, the state of Washington, as part of the centennial celebration, decides to build a tall ship ambassador for the state of Washington, and <coughs> excuse me, um, the uh, Grace Harbor Historical Seaport. Um, receives $1.3 million in state funding and comes up with another 500000 from the city of Aberdeen and then um, brought in the balance. The total cost of building the boat was about $2.4 million at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, so they, they built the Lady Washington, launched her into the Wishka River in March on March 7th of 1989. And um, where's the Wishka? The Wishka River in downtown Aberdeen. Oh, okay, that really. So, okay, yeah, I was yeah, a tribute. 
That was the Chehalis, but it's no. Well, the Chehalis is the larger river. Okay. okay. Uh, the Wishka is a tributary. Okay. And so she was launched at that point, and um, you know the original vision for the organization was a, you know, about a seven point nine million dollar vision, but there was only really two point four million dollars invested originally, mm-hmm. and so you know there was just it was it was difficult, and they um, they had a rough start, um, got into some financial trouble. And in September of 1990, the organization closed its doors for about three months. And at that point, I was um, hired to restart the organization. And so we did a ground-up restart. And uh, uh, 99 days after I came to work, I'd convinced a bunch of friends that you know, this could be the last voyage of the Lady Washington. Do you want to come? I mean, and so that was it. We took off on a 104-day voyage, and and uh, we brought in 113,000. Wow. Which just, I mean, that's pretty much, and, I, you know, I've got, I have people all over Washington State to thank for that. I mean, yeah. anybody that owed me a favor. <laughs> You know, I've got the Lady Washington. I've got the Lady Washington for a hundred days. If if you ever thought that you owed me a favor, put together a charter. Wow. And and so um, you know, and this is before cell phones, and yeah. So you know, we're standing in the rain in your foul weather gear with a three ring binder, pumping quarters into a payphone, trying to set up the next two ports. You know, it was <laughs> it was. Um, so you did a big fundraising trip. Yeah. 140-day fundraising trip. Right. And then um, from there, we went up uh, the Columbia River, Mm -hmm. and then we came back into Grays Harbor and then into Puget Sound again. And we, in 93, we did our first voyage down the coast of California. And while we were in Los Angeles, um, we got, uh, (laughs) we were planning on sailing we sailed down the coast of California, and then the plan was to sail out to Hawaii and back up. Mm-hmm. And um, we got into Los Angeles, and we got sucked into the 25th century by tractor beams. And um, Paramount Pictures bought out um, the entire trip to Hawaii. And um, we filmed Star Trek Generations instead of going to Hawaii. Really? And so Lady Washington was the original enterprise in Star Trek Generations. You're that kidding. That was our, our first little movie thing. And then we uh, uh, finished out, uh, spent some more time down in California and and saw that there was some potential down there. You know, mm-hmm. the weather's better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the previous year, we actually... Um, there was a uh, teacher strike in Washington State, and mm-hmm. between a teacher strike and some real bad freezing, we had about two months of no income. And you know, the organization at that point, when I took over, was just—I mean, we hardly had money for fuel, let alone anything else. And yeah, yeah, two months without income was just devastating. Mm-hmm. So um, the thought that you know, going to California. 
we could actually do something. And and uh, we were up in, uh, we were northbound, and we'd stopped in San Francisco. And we were, um, in those days, we, uh, we used our cannons and we fired guns for points. And a, a gunner got... Uh, one point for every report, every echo, mm-hmm. and ten points for every car alarm. And so um, <laughs> we were sailing along Fisherman's Terminal, and we, our gunner had just, I mean, he, uh, I think he got like thirty-five points with the car alarms and oh. all the echoes, and and uh, you know, hit this boom, boom, off in the distance what the heck and turned around and we looked and here's this square rigged ship just coming in under the golden gate and it was like whoa holy smoke mr gunner load them up quick you know so we load up our cannons and and we kind of heave to and uh this other boat comes sailing up and so then we fall off next to them and we're sailing along and we're maybe mm, 25 feet apart yeah and you know, we're smiling at them, and they're smiling at us, and, hey, nice boat. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys are smiling way too big. And then I can, then I, I mean, just right at the same, I mean, right at the time I see smoke coming up underneath his rail, and his gunner's got slow match going to light the cannon. Yeah. So I can see... He's ready to fire his guns, and my gunner's sitting over there ready to fire his guns. And so I said, Mr. Gunner, now! And just as the other captain said exactly the same thing, and, you know, we just boom, boom, boom. And then we took off, and um, so we sailed for about the next two and a half hours, just kind of hammering away at each other, trying to outmaneuver each other. Yeah. And uh, So what the, ship was it? It was Hawaiian Chieftain. Oh. Or that's, which is... How at the end of of the yeah well and and so at the end of the evening, uh, we went back. We were moored at the National Maritime Park, uh, Hyde Street Pier. And that evening, this guy came down and said, "Hey, that was fun. You want to do that again tomorrow night?" (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Sure. And so we started doing that. And then a couple years later, he got a hold of us and said, "Hey, why don't you guys come down and we'll just partner." I'll handle booking all the education programs. You guys handle booking all the the public programs. Mm -hmm. So we got into a partnership with the Hawaiian Chieftain, and we ran that partnership from 96 to 2003 when the owner of the boat had an opportunity to pick up the family farm overlooking the surf break at Santa Cruz, and he needed some cash, so he sold the boat. And um, it wound up going to the East Coast. Oh, it did. And then um, that the guy who bought the boat um, passed away unexpectedly. And we had we thought we had a partner here in Grays Harbor, mm-hmm. um, a developer who was interested in partnering and guaranteeing the income for the chieftain mm-hmm. during the summertime. Mm-hmm. And so we wound up buying the chieftain and bringing her back and unfortunately with the economic downturn uh, he was overextended and so we lost our partner Oh, um, but 
we still have Hawaiian chieftains, so we've now we've yeah. got the two ships, and yeah. Yeah. and uh, that's um, doubled our fun, doubled our uh, expenses, yeah. and, but it's you know doubled our income. So yeah, right. right. Um, as long so, as we do things right. So tell me about a little bit about the actual building of Lady Washington, the the replica, mm-hmm. and tell me, give me a little little bit of the gory details about the wood and the well, okay, um, Lady Lady Washington as as you see her today, is actually 210 tons. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fur on fur. Mm-hmm. Um, the original would have been oak, but okay. you know the cost of shipping oak, oak on oak. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's what they had. Yeah. You know, yeah. they'd use pine for the spars. White but, oak? Uh-huh. White oak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You wouldn't... Red oak and There's, boats, uh, it's okay yeah. for bits yeah. and that kind of stuff, right. but if it's going to have its feet wet, yeah. red oak is not what you want to mm-hmm. use. Yeah. Um, so um, we used... Uh, you know, almost everything is Douglas fir. There's some things that we have to use hardwood for, like the... Yeah. Um, the tiller, uh, Lady Washington steers. She's got a, her rudder is about fourteen hundred pounds. Wow! And it steers with an eleven foot long tiller. Um, most people think, oh, as a matter of fact, that was when we worked with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. talking to Jerry or uh, Gore Verbinski, the director, and he said, well, this is going to be historically accurate, you know. I want everything historically accurate. And I said, oh, God, yeah, that's going to be such a relief. How wonderful to have a historically accurate film. Yeah. And um, so we get back onto the quarter deck, and he goes, well, where's the wheel? And I said, well, a boat this size, you could turn this boat with a tiller, and your ability to turn quickly could mean life or death. And so if you could handle the boat with just a tiller... They used a tiller, and yeah. so boats up to about eighty-five feet would have tillers, and and what they call tiller tackle or relieving tackle. So, mm-hmm. as you're pushing on the tiller, you're pulling on a two-fold purchase, oh. a double block purchase. Okay, you know that so that's going to help you. The, 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 the It'll help you. Intention, right? And yeah. so, um, you know, we explained that to him, and he then he looked at me and said, "It's a pirate movie. It needs a wheel." Okay, cool. We can do a wheel. We will do a wheel. <laughs> so we had to get rid of the tiller. But um, the ash we, the ash tiller, actually, um, we broke it. Um, yeah, you... When a, a rudder... Sailing, you can't let that... You cannot let that tiller get away from you. Yeah. I mean, you could get hurt. Well, how, how big was the tiller? Um, well, that. the tiller's probably in section, probably about... In the... Biggest spot, probably about six or seven inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now it's purple heart. Oh. Um, but you know, eleven feet long, so you've got some leverage. And if you've, if you ever um, talk to someone who's made the trip down the coast mm-hmm. on board the Lady Washington mm-hmm. and stood a trick at the wheel, mm-hmm. and ask them about their bruises. Mm. Um, you know, because the tiller. You know, it's a big boat, um, particularly moving down the coast in the fall. We usually get into some mm, 35 to 50 knot winds, 18 to 22 foot seas, Mm -hmm. you know. And so you set the tiller. You're As the boat gets comes up into a wave, you kind of break through. You're at the top of the wave. Mm -hmm. 
and maybe you're not quite straight, the rudder right now is out of the water, so now's the time that you can push it oh. for where you want it. The boat starts to smoke down the hill, and then the rudder bites and will start to straighten her out. And as, you, and as she straightens out, you ease off and let the tiller come back to center line. Interesting. And the way that you do that is you put your hip against it and let it, you know, push you. Yeah. And, you know, as it's doing that, every now and again, you it just kind of smacks you a couple up, of times. Huh? Yeah, so... You know, it's just kind of like having somebody bump you with a baseball bat all day long. Yeah. Um, so the tiller's on the boat today, then? Or yeah. Or the wheel? Yeah. The oh, no, no. The wheel, the, movie? the wheel was done for the movie. Yeah. And um, we uh, designed the wheel, and we told them, they, they said they were looking for, we want something special. Okay. So we, we designed a wheel, provided them a drawing, and we said, well, you know, for $4,500, we'll build you the wheel oh no we can build it cheaper than that okay so they built it cheaper than that and um the first scene the first thing that we filmed was the storm sequence Mm -hmm. and the way that they built the wheel cheaper than that was that they built it out of cottonwood and the storm sequence let's see cottonwood storm sequence spraying salt water all over it Oh, wow, the wheel's coming apart. Oh, where's the surprise in that? Come <laughs> so on. the wheel came apart. So, well, the wheel started to come apart. And this Bad. is in filming of Pirates of the Caribbean. Right, right. Yeah. And okay. so, so um, yeah, so we said, okay, you know, we, we finished the filming in Los Angeles, and now we've got to go to St. Vincent. And everybody just said, get that thing off the deck. So um, that wheel actually has frequent flyer miles, and it's flown from Los Angeles to St. Vincent, and it was on board in St. Vincent. And as soon as we got done in St. Vincent, it came off in St. Vincent, mm. got put on an airplane, flown back to uh, L.A., and then it was eventually flown up here. And we've got it upstairs. Oh, um, really? Yeah. It, you know, it was just a uh, great concept. Too bad that's what you chose to use. Yeah. Um, but... You know, it's Hollywood. They don't. Nothing is meant to last beyond the picture. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So were you down there during the filming of the movie using the Lady of Washington? Um, or? I was down a couple times. Um, my job is to be a jerk. <laughs> um, when you're doing a film, you need people that are going to do whatever it takes. To make it successful, mm-hmm. and you know our guys, a couple days, our guys did two twenty-three hour days back to back. They got paid for it. They got paid really well, but um, by Disney, not by the Seaport. But mm-hmm. um, the uh, the people that are working on set, it's a team. It's a tight team. It, everything, whatever it is that you want, but somewhere. Somebody be, has to be able to say that's not going to happen, mm-hmm. and that's my job. I see. And so you, you know, we put the strongest captain that I had, and then you know we'd talk every night. Less, they're still pushing. Tell them I said no. You and I talked about this, and Les is just adamant it's not going to happen. So what kind? Of, what would be an example of something they'd ask? Um, they wanted do? us to replace the engine. Um, we don't think that your engine's going to be strong enough. Um, 
we our guys looked at it and they think that um, you know we just remove and replace the engine. We'll just you know drop in a new one. We cut a hole in the deck and put a new one in, just like we did with the the uh, surprise. And I said, one, this is not the surprise. Don't be surprised about that. Two, you're not cutting a hole in anything. And three, the thought that you're going to put in an engine and we're going to work it out in the end, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. The only way anything happens on this boat is if we know going in what all the costs are going to be, you know. And so, you know, eventually um, we had to kind of take it up the ladder a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and again, not everybody has a role to play. Yeah. And so right. my role is jerk. And so then I finally flew down to Los Angeles. And um, was just adamant that, you know, I'm comfortable with this engine. If you're not comfortable with this engine and you guys want to pay to get that engine rebuilt, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But that's the engine that we're working with. They thought it was going and to fail at, during the movie or something? Or well, they were concerned the, about? the interesting thing about films is that um, when we did um, Star Trek, which is not a big film, mm -hmm. I mean, not a whole bunch of people, and when we did Star Trek, Bernie Williams told me, the director, that it cost him a hundred and $75,000 an hour to have everyone show up at work. Oh, my goodness. So when you hear the director scream at the top of his lungs a short string of obscenities about why we're not ready and the fingers start pointing to the right, you don't want to be the guy on the far right. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, whenever you're doing, whenever you're involved in a big project like that, you know, you really have to be able, you have to respect the fact that mm -hmm. although they're they're paying you a lot of money, mm -hmm. comparatively speaking, the amount of damage that you could do I to see. that film just by not being ready for five hours to be late. As a matter of fact, Bernie Williams told me that he filmed the movie Bounty with Mel Gibson mm -hmm. and he had a, an actor that showed up late three times and he said, 15 minutes. That's 45 minutes. Do you know what that guy cost me? He didn't cost me anything after that. I fired him. Wow. I mean, yeah, and big, you know, dollars, it's, huh? yeah, yeah, it's, it's huge amounts of money. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we, um, eventually came to an agreement and they completely rebuilt the engine and um, uh, and we got a warranty on and we insisted if you're going to rebuild the engine you have to rebuild the transmission too mm -hmm. and so we got the engine and transmission rebuilt yeah um, which was a good thing yeah. yeah and so what does that have for power on it well it had at that point in time we had a an 8V71 Detroit uh -huh. with a 3 to 1 Allison mm -hmm. gear. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, let's see, two years ago, we removed that because there's new, um, the old 71 series Detroit are not even tier one compliant mm -hmm. um, for pollution control. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, right now, Lady Washington has a uh, two-year-old Scania diesel okay. with a ZF 3-to-1 reduction. Hmm. So it's a single screw boat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So obviously the original boats had no motors of any kind. Right, which yeah. is why it took 124 days from the Falklands. Yeah. I mean, they did have a long boat, so you could put the guys over in this, in the long boat and just have them row. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can get the boat up to two and a half knots, maybe. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the boys. I, they, they would pull the boats. Yeah. From the long boats, they would pull sure. the ship. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there yeah. Was no wind. But they don't do it like um, they don't do it like you saw in Master and Commander. Mm-hmm. If you look at Master and Commander, yeah. everybody's pulling at the same time. Yeah. All the oars hit the water at the same time. Yeah. Well, if you've ever towed anything, there's a cantonary with a with the towing line. You know, it sags, mm-hmm. and then yeah. when you tow, then the line comes taut. And then as soon as you stop towing, the line sags again. So yeah. it's kind of like this rubber band action. Yeah. So the way that they actually, if you're towing, you have one or the right bank of oars are in the water while the left bank of oars are moving to reposition. Oh. When the left bank of oars hit the water, the right bank of oars are out. So you keep tension on and, that And line. it's called randan. That's, mm-hmm. that's how you do it. So, so you're keeping tension on that all the time so you right. don't get that slack and lose your efficiency. Right. Interesting. So they didn't get right in Master and Commander. Uh, you know, that's one of the few things in Master and Commander that I... I I've got to go watch that again eyes. now to see. It hurt my <laughs> eyes to see I've got to go see Pirates of the Caribbean and Master and Commander Actually, Pirates again. of the Caribbean and then listen to the... Uh, uh, they've got a commentary... Mm-hmm. section in the special features oh do they and yeah and johnny depp goes god those guys i mean that is just so cool talking about the crew because yeah as a matter of fact there's um there's a scene in the bar that actually comes from the boat and uh johnny depp is talking to his first mate and he said uh Take in all and give, or take in all and give none back, mm-hmm. and that's the command for the mooring lines. When you're coming up against the dock, oh, okay, you know, and we're kind of, you know, hold on three, you know, mm-hmm. and you, mm-hmm. okay, that's that's well, we're tight on the fenders. Take in all and give none back, and so you, you know, you just pull up all the slack and and make off your mooring lines. Yeah, and Johnny Depp went over to Brad and goes. I like that. You you mind if I use that? <laughs> no, go ahead. You know. Oh, that's funny. crazy. That's funny. Wow, this is cool stuff. So uh, let's come back to to this organization again. Mm-hmm. And you you were telling me on the phone yesterday about some plans that you have for some property right. here to make a new facility. Right. So, so tell me about that a little bit. So um, and actually. Um, we're in the process of acquiring the Weyerhaeuser Sawmill property mm-hmm. in Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 28-acre site. There are 10 major buildings on site with mm-hmm. over 100,000 square feet of footprint. Wow. And um, we're uh, one of the interesting things about Aberdeen is that um, we are the largest community in Grace Harbor County. Um, but we do not have any 
public moorage. There's zero public moorage. Really? There's not a boat launch. We've got some of the best steelhead and sturgeon fishing in the state. Yeah. I mean, we've got wild salmon that you can go fishing for. How yeah. crazy is that? And yeah. you, and there's no moorage here. We've got, wow. you know, Westport, mm-hmm. which is a great marina, but there's yeah. you can't if you come up to Aberdeen, be prepared to motor around and go home. Yeah. So, wow. um this our plan is to uh you know, build a mixed-use public waterfront facility. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got an opportunity with a place this big to really do something not just good, but something absolutely exceptional. Yeah. Um, we're looking to um, tell the stories of Pacific Northwest Maritime, mm-hmm. you know, to talk about lumber schooners, about sawmills, about shipyards. Mm-hmm. Um We've got, uh, we have some pieces of the schooner Wawona, mm-hmm. some of the major significant pieces of the schooner Wawona, and we're looking to build a full-scale lumber schooner on site. Wow. Um, it'll be a land ship. It won't be, because of federal and international rules related to flammability. Oh, and, oh. I mean, it just, yeah. it would be logistically, you could build a boat, but you could never use it, yeah. as opposed to we can build something that that when you go on board, it will appear that you're going down into a, a lumber schooner that is loaded about a third of the way full, mm-hmm. and you'll be walking on lumber. I see. And But the reality is you'll actually be walking into a, a ship that's set on piles, if you're in the water and it's low tide, you'll be able to look back and see steel frames. <clears throat> you'll actually be able to see her shape oh. from the water okay. and actually yeah. see her full underbody, but it'll be skeletal. Mm-hmm. I um, see. Yeah. You know, uh, about two and a half feet below the pier level. I see. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to be uh, looking at that. We'll be... Um, you know, telling some of the stories of um, the stevedores, um, you know, the sailors that that worked here out of uh, Grays Harbor, and just that whole um, Grays Harbor's history is a really interesting one. In 1930, I mean, the Great Depression, mm-hmm. we had 25 sawmills and 28 shipyards working. Mm. Wow. We were shipping lumber to... Australia for the gold rush, uh, for railroad ties and timbers for up in the mines. Mm-hmm. You know, if you uh, look at the houses on Broadway, up in on Broadway Hill in Aberdeen, yeah, a lot of them have sandstone foundations. And although they could have gotten sandstone from Tenino, which is close, yeah, the sandstone actually comes from Australia, and. The reason it comes from Australia is they sailed down there with a load of lumber, yeah. and the boats need to come back, and they need to come back in ballast, or it's going to oh. take forever. They need something heavy yeah. that you know that's going to allow them to carry a lot of sail yeah. that they can load quick. And so they load up this sandstone, get back up here, and the first thing they do when they get tied up at the at the lumber mill is offload all that sandstone, and some local guy will get it. 
I mean, you know, it's a low value cargo. Yeah. But it, it brought them back quick. Yeah. And now yeah. they can. It goes into the houses around right. here, huh? Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of just really um, wonderful stories that we'd like to tell, not only about the the cultural history, but also about the natural history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we have the Chehalis Basin Surge Plain Natural Area Preserve. It's like, I think, it's over 4,000 acres of surge plain wetland. And, you know, wow, surge plain, okay, yeah. How keen for little animals that live in marshes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, okay, that that's true. Mm-hmm. And it does provide food for salmonids and that kind of thing. Yeah. It also filters pollutants. Okay. and And probably most importantly for this community is... It is a surge plain. When a flooding event happens, all of this wetland area floods one or two feet deep, and all of that peat bog there starts loading up with water like a giant sponge. Mm -hmm. And so instead of, you know, water boiling over into the streets and downtown... We've got this surge plan that's actually absorbing a lot of that water, yeah. Yeah. and then as the you know as the flooding event um, sub- subsides, you've you've got all this wetland area up there that'll slowly start discharging all mm-hmm. that water. Mm-hmm. And how do we convey those kinds of yeah. of stories? And so you know the idea about the site is to create a site that begs exploration mm-hmm. from the time that you get there. Yeah. And tells multiple stories that you can follow fairly easily. Mm-hmm. When do you anticipate that'll start construction? Well, um, we're still in the process. We're working out the final stuff with the state agencies right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's been an industrial. This has been a sawmill since the turn of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a level one environmental, a level two environmental, and um, you know, we're going to have to, there's some lead-based paint in a couple of the buildings. There's, um, uh, there's a little uh, asbestos, but not much, mm-hmm. that we're going to have to resolve. So, you know, we've got to get our plans there. We need a new stormwater permit because we're not an industrial stormwater discharge. We'll mm-hmm. be a, a mixed-use public uh discharge permit but you still need a discharge permit so that kind of thing um making sure that dnr is on board with our plans Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah you know we're at this point we're hoping we were thinking we might be able to close before the end of the year Mm -hmm. but now it's looking like it's going to be january february okay close on the purchase of the property or close on the purchase of the property okay yeah okay okay And then hopefully, so you'll start construction next year. It's oh yeah, we'll we'll be we'll start a uh, we'll go through a cleanup process. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're going to do public tours, mm. and then we're going to go through a public design process. Mm-hmm. Um, I we want to make sure that we create a site that's going to appeal to multiple ages, mm-hmm. multiple user groups, mm-hmm. yeah. and. And so what are the stories that we can tell? What, how would you like to see this property used? What would, mm-hmm. what would cause you to want to spend half a day there besides yeah. a brew pub? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. 
Right. Well, cool. That is awesome. So how's uh, funding for that coming? You're doing some fundraising now for that. Well, we're, we're doing a little fundraising now. Um, we've got a couple grants lined up, but we've got to make sure we actually have to have full tenure and control. Mm, and okay. so, you know, we got to kind of wait for that. But um, we've got a couple significant grants that cool. that are the interesting thing about the property is that this is it's a listed priority for public waterfront access oh it's identified in a couple different studies saying that wow you've got all this resource within six and a half miles of this property you've got the grays harbor national wildlife refuge mm -hmm. and the chehalis basin surge plain natural area preserve Within six and a half miles of this site, you've got over 40% of the county population. Mm -hmm. Within six and a half miles of this site, you have 36 miles of navigable waterway that would be accessible to a vessel of five feet of draft or more. Wow. Yeah. I mean... Wow. They're, Prime location. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful location. And when yeah. you start to, you know, looking at things like... Uh, canoe kayak mm -hmm. um you know or or small boat mm -hmm. i mean explorations you can get i mean preacher slough is a slough that's back there mm -hmm. and it's called preacher slough because there was a preacher coming down river that took a shortcut and he wound up lost in there for two days i mean it <laughs> it goes all over the place <laughs> funny funny so for our listeners, uh, Les, tell me, uh, give me some information about your website, what the website sure. address is, yeah. and how the, they can get more information. Okay. Um, the web address is historicalseaport.org. Okay. Um, and that'll, that's our general you know, homepage site. Yeah. You can find almost anything from there if you're interested specifically in um, the spar shop. Um, spar making that's the spar shop dot com mm -hmm. um, but like I say historical seaport dot org and um, you know one of the things that um, that we get a lot of interest in is you know what is it like to be a part of the crew there's mm -hmm. a um, and for those people that are interested in that kind of thing, mm -hmm. we do have a program called Two Weeks Before the Mast, mm -hmm. and um, it runs year-round. Every Sunday, there's one new person that comes on board Hawaiian Chieftain and two new people that come aboard the Lady Washington. Yeah. And the first person that meets them is sa says, Hi, I'm you one week ago. The learning curve is steep, and you're going to have a great time. <laughs> and... And so we're constantly training from ground zero. Really? You don't have to know anything yeah. about tall ships, about boats. You know, we'll teach you that the pointy end of the boat is that end there, and we call it the bow. Mm -hmm. And if you're facing the bow and you look to the right, that's called starboard. And, I mean, you know, we just take it right from the most basic level. And at any given time on board the ship, you'll find people that are at entry level, mm -hmm. but you'll also find people that are working on getting their mate's license or getting their master's license. Wow. Um, you know, yeah. you've, and you never know who it is that, that you're running into. You're as likely, 
to find um, uh, Captain Bill Larson came on board and a two-week volunteer and okay um, but he's got a, a, a master's license and he's got a PhD in psychology and he was recently retired from the University of California and just wanted to get on board a ship. Wow, that's cool. Captain Tommy Cook has a an ocean master's license, um, you know, 1,600 tons. Wow. Um, he's single-handing through the Northwest Passage, and he came on board as a two-week volunteer and wow. has now come back as one of our captains. Yeah. But, um, you know, Captain Esther Whitmore, she turned 16 off the coast of Nicaragua when we were going down to do the Disney movie. Mm -hmm. And when she got back to the to Washington, she was 16 years old. She had 10,000 miles at sea. And I said, Esther, so what are you going to do now? I, I think I'm going to go back and finish high school. And, <laughs> and so to see um, Esther that, you know, she came back after... Um, during the summer and and so to see this you know 17 year old girl teaching a 50 year old guy or 60 year old guy that's got a master's license how no this is a fair lead i mean you know okay a fair lead all right so i get that so then it's that and then you just belay yeah okay so let me show you how to sweat and tail and and so I mean, you're as likely to be taking direction from someone mm -hmm. in their teens as you are to I be see. taking direction from somebody yeah. in their 60s or 70s. Yeah, um, right. So it's a two-week stint. Two weeks before the mast. You guarantee that you can stay, that you can and will stay for two weeks, that you will serve the ship 12 hours a day, seven days a week for two weeks. Mm -hmm. We guarantee that you can stay for one week. We have a one-week checklist, and if you have any interest in staying, you'll be able to get through the one-week checklist. Pretty basic stuff. Yeah. What do you do if we abandon ship? Which life raft are you supposed to go to? I mean, you need to know those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, how do you start the fire pump? We start the fire pumps twice a day to wash the deck down, so it's not like you haven't seen it. Yeah. For seven days, so so is this two weeks at sea? Um, it's Part two weeks. Sea or? It's two weeks doing whatever we're doing. Oh, so okay. right now we've got people that are on there two weeks and they're sailing. Right today they're um, sailing off the coast of California, southbound. Mm -hmm. um, but it you know we've had people that came on and did the two weeks in the boatyard. The ships actually operate about three hundred and fifty days a year. Mm -hmm. We're in. 45 to 55 different communities in a year. Mm -hmm. We sail almost every day. Mm -hmm. Primarily what we do is educational access programs for mm -hmm. school children. Mm -hmm. okay. So we have between 12 and 15,000 school children a year on board the ships. Mm -hmm. And then we sail with the public on the weekends. I see. Okay. So, so it really... are out on the water a lot. It's, it's a working... These are working ships. We, mm -hmm. um, we put about 6,000 miles a year on the ships, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, summertime, Pacific Northwest, wintertime, we're down south, um, we'll be going as south, south as far as, uh, I think, Oceanside this year. Mm -hmm. California. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is that about San Diego area? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Okay. Just above San Diego. We may be going down to uh, uh, San Diego. We're mm-hmm. We've got somebody who'd like us to go down there. The problem in San Diego is moorage. Oh, trying yeah. to find a place that's appropriate for us. Yeah, right. um, you know, Lady Washington is a wonderful boat, but she does weigh two hundred tons and she draws eleven feet of water. Yeah. So, and she's one hundred and twelve feet long. Mm-hmm. So, trying to find a spot where you can put her that yeah. isn't problematic. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Can yeah. be challenging. Yeah. Definitely. Well, really appreciate your time today, Les. You bet. It's been a lot of fun. And, you bet. Uh, <laughs> hope to come down and see you again. And yeah. Any parting comments for our listeners at all? Well, um, you know, feel free to ask. Okay. You know, we're we're uh, our organization is about education and stewardship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, the only way that you're going to be a good steward is if you understand. Okay. And so, um, how about you know, a phone number and email address? Sure. Too? Uh, phone number is um, the easy one is 800 200 5239. That's 800 200 Lady. Okay. 200 years ago, Lady Washington. Yeah. Um, and um, email, um, now the easy one is less, L E S, at historical seaport. Dot .org. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, thanks, Les. Cool. Appreciate it. You bet. Well, folks, that's the end of our interview with Les at the Grays Harbor Historical Seaport. I hope you enjoyed that time. As always, I would love to get your feedback on the show. You can call me at 424-261-2360. Uh, that's our feedback hotline. Leave me a message. Or you can email me at dan at hookedonwoodenboats.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to talking next week. Take care.